you have a Bible, if you want to look it up on your phone, turn to Jude, the book of Jude, which is the easiest way to find it, is to go to the book of Revelation and just keep going back to till you find Jude. It's just one page, 25 little verses, and so we are started a series on Jude last week, and we're going to just kind of work our way through the book of Jude for a few weeks. Last week, we looked at the introduction on Jude chapter Jude 1 and 2, and this morning we're going to look at Jude verses 3 and 4. Jude 3 and 4, I want to read verses 1 through 4. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, Although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were destined for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, Lord, thanks. We're thanks that we can gather and sing. We're thanks that you loved us first so we can love you. Lord, just thanks for your multiplied mercy, peace, and love to us. God, I pray you help us to experience that and to know it. God, I pray you also help us also to contend for the faith. God, I pray the Holy Spirit, you just teach us this morning, encourage us, and challenge us with your word. Pray just remove every distraction that we hear from you. And Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts will be acceptable to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We'll start this way. This week I, was, I saw a news story, this guy, and imagine this. He's out um, fishing in Georgia on, on his favorite little um, pond, enjoying a day, maybe catching some little fish, maybe catch a bass or something. He's out there fishing away, enjoying himself, um, and having a great time. It's a little private pond that's his to enjoy, and, he, and he, he's catching fish, catching fish, and then all of a sudden he caught fun, something, and it looked different than anything else he'd caught before, but he recognized it pretty quickly, and what he caught was a snakefish, uh, which was ugly, not supposed to be in the pond, um, and they can actually live on, uh, out of the water for four days. And so Georgia, he reported it right away, and the state of Georgia said, if you, if you find any of these, they're not supposed to be in the area, they're not supposed to be in our state, if you find one, kill one, because they are corrupting they're very polluting, and they, are, they will destroy other fish, and there's nothing to take care of them. They can rampage a whole pond. That's what Jude's talking about in Jude chapter 3 and 4. He's talking to these people. He's been writing them. He introduced himself. He's the brother, half-brother of Jesus Christ. He, is, uh, just, he's, he loves these people. He enjoys them. But in this last week, we said he, he, he gave this, um, this call. This week, he's, there's this warning. There's a warning in the book of Jude. There's a caution that he's warning them about that's very deadly, but it leads to compromise and change if it's not taken care of. And it's talking about people who are who apostatize, who are corrupting the faith. 
and it leads to much compromise. Some of you might not know this, but almost every major college in America, Harvard, Yale, Princeton, Dartmouth, Columbia, Brown, and the University of Chicago, all of those colleges were started to be places to train people for ministry, to train uh, pastors and teachers and ministers. If you go there, you'll see all the, the stuff ingrained into the walls and the bricks. But there's been a corrupting influence over time, and there's been some pollution, and that, most people don't even know that about those places. And Judah's warning, though, is about certain people, that there's just been there's a, a corruption, there's this compromise, and this is also just the current struggle. I was talking to, uh, um, emailing back and forth um, fr- from the Cannonbergs, Lori Cannonberg this week, she had sent me some, an email and I responded back to it and she had sent me a couple emails and we were responding back and forth and she said this to me. She goes, Paul, building, building churches, they're down in the Amazon in Brazil, building churches here are easy, is, is easy. Finding pastors to lead them and deal with ministerial and personal issues is very hard. People are messy and we are pastor coordinators over these people and often need to deal with very tough issues. Please pray with us. Some sins here are so rampant and common, they don't really see anything wrong with them. Satan is doing all he can to destroy churches and cause splits and ruin the reputation of these leaders. We are in it for the long haul and want to show love, to discipline, to confront and encourage and see them to the victory. That's not just Brazil. That's everywhere the Church of Jesus Christ is. That's our area. That's the way it has been since the beginning. And Jude, the half-brother of Jesus, he recognized that, and he, he said to this group of people, this, these Christians that he was writing to, these, these people of God, he, he, he said, how do you respond? How do you recognize these corruptions that come in? How do you resist the attacks to the faith that they bring? And how do you hold on to hope? How do you hold on to the faith? And he he does it in these three and four verses by giving them a call to action and giving us a call to action by describing the cunning enemy and be reminding them and us of the constant anchor that we have. If you read the book of Jude, it's, it's short, and there's some weird things in it. It's a little odd just to sit, if you haven't read it in a while, and I encourage you to read it as we go through this, but it's a letter of persuasion. Jude says, I, I, I wanted to write to you. It's a normal letter. He wrote the, he wrote the introduction, and, and that, that was normal, and then he says, beloved, I, I, I was very eager to write to you. I wanted to write to you just this nice letter uh, about our common salvation. I wanted to just encourage you. Uh, I, that's what I wanted to do. He says, but I found it necessary to write to you. I, I found it very necessary to write to you really a letter of persuasion. That's what it is. It, it's, 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 a, it's a typical letter back in that day of persuasion. So if you read it, as you sit and read this, this might help you read it. If you, Jude 1 and 2 is just like we looked at last week. It's kind of the connection. He introduces himself. He introduces the people. And verse 3 is kind of the case. He's given the case. Here's the, here's the situation. 
And verse 4, he gives the concern. This is why I'm writing this little letter to you. And then verses 5 through 16, which has some of the odd stuff in there, that is just the collection of evidence that he's saying, here's the reason why all these things are here. And then verses 17 through 23, he gives this conclusion that they need to know. And then verses 24 through 25, he ends with the doxology, which I called the constant, what we just we need to hold on to. So we're just going to work our way through this. Last week, we said we can have confidence in the midst of struggle because we are called, we're loved, and we're kept. But there is a great concern that hasn't changed and changed, and Jude is also concerned with it. And he says, Beloved, although I was very eager to you to write to you about a common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith. The reason he wrote was to call them to action. It's a call to action. I write appealing to you. The word is like, it's it's just the word where we get our word agonize. He says, I'm writing to you to appeal to you to contend for the faith. Put effort into it. It's like a weightlifter lifting heavy weights and he's just, oh, he's going to struggle through this. That's That's what Jude's calling you to. That's what he's calling us to when it comes to the faith. He's calling us to contend for the faith with with urgency. There's a call to action because there are these things that will destroy churches, destroy faith, and destroy people. And he's calling them to persuade them to, hey, don't don't just go through the motions. Wake up. This is real. It's a call to action. But he starts it with this, this, this care. I mean, you can't get past verse 3. He says, beloved, I was very eager to you. Jude loved the people he was writing to. I mean, it's the word of God to us. He wrote to people. He says, I, 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 the call to action is to care, beloved. Jude could have written the letter he wanted to, right? He could have sat down and said, oh, I heard some problems in the church. I heard some issues, but I don't want to cause any controversy. I don't want to cause any friction. I just like to talk about Jesus, and so I'm just going to write this nice flowerly letter. He could have done that. But that wouldn't have been loving. Instead, he, because he loved them, because he loved them, he cared enough to change and say, what I need to write is address this issue. This, this, this issue, and so it was a call to action, but he did it out of great love. He, he loves these people. It's, it's caring for each other. The most unloving thing you can do is to see someone you know in Christ Watch them head down a different direction and never say anything to them. So well, I don't want to, interf- I don't want to up- interrupt their life. I don't want to, what, what if they might not like me? Watching someone destroy their life is not loving. And Jude couldn't do it either. He says, beloved, even though I didn't want to write this, this isn't the letter I wanted to do, but I was compelled to do it. So I want you to, to contend for the faith. I want to, I want to call you to action. And the action that he wants to call them to is to have clarity about the faith, clarity about the gospel. He wants them to comprehend the gospel. He says, I found it necessary to write to you, appealing you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. He wants, he wants them to, to not get this confused, to know that there is this gospel. There is a truth that God has given us, and he wants them to have clarity in it, he wants them to comprehend it, he wants them to understand the content of it and the completeness 
But he's talking about the gospel. He said there's, there's, there's people that come in, which we're going to look at in a second. They, they come in and they, they started to corrupt this. And they started to say things that were not true. And he, they were trying to get Christians off of the gospel, off of the faith. And he goes, I want you to be clear of this. I want you to comprehend and know what the gospel is. What is the content of the gospel? He says, I want you to understand the faith. So early on, when he, he just used the word the faith, they knew what he was talking about. They knew that there was a set core of beliefs, that this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, and this is what it doesn't mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ? What is the gospel? The most clearest definition of the gospel is in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul says in verse 3, he says, for I delivered to you. This was the message. This is what they had delivered to other people. This is what Paul said, I've entrusted to you. This is the faith. He says, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 others. That's the gospel. That's what we have to believe. That's what will change people's lives, is that Jesus Christ came, lived, and died, and rose again. That's the message. That's the faith. It's not Jesus and other things you have to do. It's, it's that. And that message doesn't seem very compelling to us sometimes. We, we get so comfortable with it. It's just like, yeah, I've heard that. Jude says this is the message. This is the faith. We need to know this and comprehend this. And that that's the content of the message. And what you do with that message matters and how you believe that message matters but there's also a little bit more to it that that's the content that's the description of it but there is a depth to the gospel sometimes that's all we say and that is the message that that we're sinners jesus died on the cross for our sins jesus rose again for our sins and believe that message many people can say that and become so almost almost fluffy it becomes just just yeah, we've all heard that. But here's what, there's a, there's a depth to it. Paul, in the scripture over and all, says when it comes to the, the gospel, Romans 1.5 says that we are called to the obedience of the faith. Titus 1.1 says, For the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness. James 2.26 says, faith apart from works is dead. 1 Peter 1.7 says, trials. So the reason we have trials is so that the tested genuineness of your faith can become clear. There is a, a content of the gospel, which is 1 Corinthians 15. Then there's a depth to it. That if we're not careful, that's where we can fail. We can say, I believe I'm a sinner. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I believe Jesus rose again. And it can have zero impact on your life. That's not the gospel. You've missed the depth of the gospel. The content of the gospel is the depth of it. It's supposed to be changing you. You should have this growth in godliness. You should have a different heart's desire. There should be attitudes that have changed. There should be things about you that are different. You should be striving that you have a faith 
It's filled with, it's by faith alone, through Christ alone, but it's demonstrated by these works, and there's evidences of this. So that's the depth of the gospel. A lot of people in our culture will say, yeah, I believe in Jesus. I believe that Jesus died for, on the cross. I believe Jesus rose, and there's absolutely no change in their, in their life. That's not the gospel. There's no depth to it. We need to know the description of it. We need to know the depth of it. And there needs to be a discipline, in a sense, with it, that we under that we understand it, that we, we let it work us through, which is the beauty of this little book that we've been passing out the last couple of weeks called The Gospel Primer. It's for you to take and daily just look and read and say, do I really understand the gospel? Am I amazed by the fact that God would love me, that Jesus would die for me, that he rose again, and that my life has and should have these fruits in it? This is the call to action. It's to defend the gospel, that it is also complete. It says it is the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. There's no, no additions that are needed. After 2,000 years, we are not smarter than people were 2,000 years ago when the faith was being delivered. There's no changes that need to be made to the, to the gospel. One author said, in Jude, the Christian faith is already in existence as a settled and final body of saving truth. We're not free to change the gospel. We're not free to say, well, I don't like that part of it, so I'm going to just make it this way. The Bible says that the gospel was a settled, once-delivered faith that we respond to. And so there's, this is the call to action. Guard that. Contend for it. Use effort in doing it. In Philippians, it's the closest that Paul says when he, when he says in Philippians 1, 27 through 30, only let your manner of life. I mean, do you live, do, does the gospel, has it so gripped your life that on Tuesday, people talking to you, seeing you at work, that, they, that, they're, that, that they're, the manner of your life is so radically different in some way. I mean, they just know, without, without you being odd and weird. Only let the manner of your life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. The, the fight for the gospel is not just what pastors do or missionaries do. The fight for the gospel and the contending for the gospel is what you do at work, at the office, at the shop, at the school as a Christian individually. That's who Jude's talking to, individual Christians. And he's saying, this is what I want you to know. I want you to contend for the faith. Years ago, uh, in the 80s, Steve Green, remember Steve Green? He was huge. You know, he was a singer, Christian singer, and and, and he'd pack out stadiums, people sing. And he, he had a song called The Mission. And this is what Jude sang to the church and to you. It's a call to action. Have you let the gospel just become so boring to you? You're just going through the motions? It's not stirring you? You're not even worried if it gets changed? 
There's a call going out across the land and every nation. A call to those who swear allegiance to the cross of Christ. A call to true humility. To live our lives responsibly. To deepen our devotion to the cross at any price. Let us then be sober, moving only in the Spirit as aliens and strangers in a hostile foreign land. The message we're proclaiming is repentance and forgiveness. The offer of, offer of salvation to a dying race of men. To love the Lord our God is the heartbeat of our mission, the spring from which our service overflows. Across the street or around the world, the mission's still the same. Proclaim and live the truth in Jesus' name. Is that you? To love the Lord our God is the heartbeat of our mission. If you're reading Jude for the first time, it was read to you, and he says, I want you to contend for the faith, which it is written to you, would you say, that's my heartbeat? That's the desire of my life. I'm going to contend for the faith. It's the heartbeat of my mission. So people would see Jesus clearly through me. Why, why does he say that? Why, does he, why did he get so changed from his letter to write that, to challenge the church and us to contend for the gospel? Because there's really cunning enemies that have come in. He, he says, for certain people, you, you could not read that without more disregard for these people. For certain people have crept in unnoticed. So he's not talking about people outside the church. He's talking about people who have crept into the church. He's talking about there's, there's people who have crept into your church unnoticed who long ago were designated for condemnation. They've, they've weaseled their way in. He, he, he says certain people. Then he moves on to these and these. I mean, he can hardly talk about these people because he knows what it's doing to this body of believers. And he says cunning people have come in and, and, and they, 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 they were pointed out long ago and we're, we're going to look at the rest of how he shows that they were pointed out long ago. But what are they doing? They, they've crept in. They've weaseled their way into the church. That They're... They're there, and they're in there, and he's trying to say, hey, guard this, wake up to this reality, and here's what they're doing. He says they are, they, certain people have crept in unnoticed who are perverting the grace of God, and they're living like practical atheists. He says they're denying our Lord and Master Jesus Christ. He says first they're perverting the, the the grace of God. They, they, they ungod, who pervert the grace of God into sensuality and deny our only master. They're perverting the grace of God into sensuality, which is the idea of any sexual immoral sin or even greed. And what they're saying is, hey, Jesus died on the cross for us, so I've been forgiven, so I can live however I want to live. There's grace upon grace upon grace. I can just, I'm free. They, they, they're, back in this time, there were people who would travel in, they came into the church, they snuck in, they said all the right things, they, they would have agreed to certain statements about Jesus, and then they were saying, but I'm free, I, I can change this, we are free to live however we want to free, don't try to tell me that I can't live this way. They, they were perverting the grace of God, and it wasn't happening from those on the outside, it was happening from those on the inside of the church, and he said it was, it was sensuality, just Smally for us, one of the ways I think we need to be very careful as a church when it comes to perverting the grace of God and sensuality 
and in greed. It's just with our technology. You, you, nobody may see what you look at on the internet. Nobody may see what you think about, but it comes in and you say, well, it'll be okay. Uh, God will forgive me. God will forgive me. God will forgive me. I can just be whatever I want to be. It's not really real. I can say whatever I want to say on social media. I can be and do whatever I want to do on social media, and it's okay because I believe Jesus, and there's grace. That's perverting the grace of God, and, and the idea that just, we can just be thinking that's okay or being using technology to feed our greed where we're just got to get more and more and more. That's perverting the grace of God. And it crept into the church, and Jude warned about this. So they are perverting the grace of God, and they're living as practical atheists. It says they're denying our only master. They said, they snuck into the church, so they said they loved Jesus. They would have passed all the tests that people would have known but inside, they were denying that Jesus had authority over their life. They weren't surrendering their life to Jesus Christ, which is why we need to be very careful, and you need to be very careful, about living your life in such a way that it's, you're really a practical atheist. You say all the right things, you go to all the right places, you show up at church, but in a sense... You live in a realm where you just do what you want to do. You, you don't feel like you need to submit to an authority or submit to God. That's denying God. Psalm 14.1 says, The fool says in his heart there is no God. Literally, that means the fool says no God. I'm going to do it my way. Don't tell me how to spend my life in any way. David Helm said these were people that were taking advantage of God's grace, and they were people who were setting aside God's authority, but they looked good. They looked like great church people. And Jude says, be very careful. Charles Spurgeon said, Oh, that people were half as careful in God's service to serve him wisely as his enemies are to attack his kingdom craftily. This is a warning to, to call to action, to, to open your eyes up and to see, well, am I living in a way that I am perverting the grace of God and believing it's okay? Or am I living in a way where I'm denying Jesus Christ to have any part of my life that he can't? Because there are people that are wanting to do that and, and there are people who are continually wanting to do that and Jude says, guard against it. Be very vigilant about it. And how do we do that? By always going back to our constant anchor. It says our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. The way we as a church and the way you as a follower of Christ will be able to contend for the faith is to commit to Christ. Maybe you've heard it all your life. You've been in this church all your life. But you really deep down have not totally surrendered your life over to Jesus Christ. You got Bible verses coming out of your ears, out of your mouth. You know every song on the Christian radio. But you have not committed your life fully over to Jesus Christ. There's no change. There's no depth to your faith. The first thing is to commit to Jesus Christ. 
And then the second thing is to continue to surrender to our master, surrender to our master. We, we learn and we lean into him. There's all kinds of struggles that we go through that we are called to lean into Christ, learn from him, read the Bible, study God's word, look at what it has to say, continue to surrender to it, bring your questions to God, doubt your doubts as much as you doubt your faith and take it to scripture. There's nothing wrong with having doubts about our faith, but the, the answer to all of those doubts is found in Jesus Christ. He's the yes to every question that we have. So we, we take our doubts and our questions back to the Bible, back to God. We continue to surrender and lean in. And then continue to set your heart to seek the Lord. We live in an unbelievably secular age that we are called to contend with, not just the outside, but the inside. The pressure from the outside is to follow one way, and there's a pressure on the inside to conform to the outside. Always has been. And in our struggle, we need to continue to seek and set the Lord first. Even in our regular difficulties, Charles Spurgeon was one of the greatest preachers in the 1800s, suffered from unbelievable amounts of doubt and depression. So much so that sometimes he, he couldn't get out of bed for weeks. It's not true that these issues are new. And Charles Spur, Spurgeon, in his quest to stay connected to the anchor of God and to continue to seek the Lord, he said this, There is in contemplating Christ a balm for every wound. In musing on the Father, there is a quietus for every grief. And in the influence of the Holy Spirit, there is a balsam for every sore. Would you lose sorrow? Would you drown your cares? Then go, plunge yourself in the Godhead's deepest sea. Be lost in his immensity. And you shall come forth as from a couch of rest, refreshed and invigorated. I know nothing which can so comfort the soul, so calm the swelling billows of grief and sorrow, so speak peace to the winds of trial as a devout musing upon the subject of the Godhead, to lean in to God, not to pull away from God. Jude's call to action is a call to, of persuasion, to say, contend for the faith and anchor yourself to God. And may we contend for the faith and may we keep our eyes focused 